welcome to Janet Today, Janet Tomorrow, Janet Forever, the Janet Jackson podcast where two cousins discuss all things Janet Jackson. My name is Courtney and I'm here with my cousin. Cousin Cam. Listen, y'all, we had a chance to talk to Jesus Garber and we're excited to share that conversation with you. You know, Jesus is someone I've wanted to talk to for a very long time. He was the promotions and marketing exec at A&M. Um, who really played a crucial role in launching Janet Jackson's control. There are a lot of Jan fam who are well aware of who he is, but for those who are not, I'm super excited for you all to hear the upcoming conversation. Before we do that, there are a few bits we want to discuss. There's a lot happening in the world of Janet Jackson. There is a lot happening. Obviously, we can't cover it all. Mm -mm. Um, We are keeping a running list of the things that we need to discuss. Um, But one of them is this Hulu documentary. So I think this past week, um, we're recording. It's actually 11-7, so it's a Sunday night um, for this portion. And I think early in the week, we were hit with the news that uh, there was going to be a documentary by the New York Times. It's going to be streaming on Hulu and I think FX about... They're calling it the Janet Jackson Super Bowl scandal, but I feel like that's a misnomer. She didn't create a scandal. Not at all. But the title of the piece is Malfunction, the Dressing Down of Janet Jackson, and it's directed and produced by Jody Gomes. Mm-hmm. Might be Gomez. I'm not sure. And it's going to debut on November 19th, um, 10 p.m. Eastern on both FX and Hulu. So that's coming up in just over a week. And I know there are a lot of feelings about this. <laughs> <laughs> I have feelings, obviously. Uh-huh. Are you going to watch? I'm going to watch. This is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to watch and I'm going to keep an open mind. But I do know how people are with the Jackson family. So I just I just hope it's done right. So I'm mm-hmm. going to keep open mind. But I have questions. <laughs> yeah. I think we all have a lot of questions. One of the questions for me was why now? Yeah. I, I definitely feel like this is a story that needs to be told. And I so... Mm-hmm. so I don't know much about Jody, but there seem to be some fans in the Jackson family fan arena who mm-hmm. um, have some really positive feelings about her and her ability to handle this documentary. For me, it's about like, does the documentary take an adequate look at like the impact of the intersection of race and sexism and, and how this all played out? Now, it does say in particular that one of the things that they will look at is why you know, Janet Jackson was particularly scandalized for the nipple reveal while Justin Timberlake essentially went unscathed. And in fact, his career continued to skyrocket. So why was one impacted negatively and the other? It seemed to be a launching pad for him to just continue his ascent in the world of music. So from that perspective, I'm happy that they are kind of taking that approach. I will watch it. I am skeptical of it, uh, especially why now, you know, with we know that Janet's own documentary is coming in January and I would much prefer to hear from her Mm -hmm. if she decided to tell us at all, because, Mm -hmm. you know, it's her right to not to talk about it. She did so immediately following the event and Mm -hmm. and for months after. Mm -hmm. But we shall see. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then also coming up is Dancing with the Stars. They're going to finally do a Janet Jackson night. Yeah, listen. (laughs) 
I am excited about this. I do not usually watch Dancing with the Stars, but I am excited that once again, 40 years into Janet's career, you know, she can command a primetime show um, that would do a tribute for her music and her career. So that's exciting to me. Again, it'll get a chance to introduce her music to people who may not already be fans and um, and get to do so through the medium of dance, which, you know, is is, is really close to her heart. And so Initially, they said that she would be making a very special, rare appearance. Um, and then that language was scrubbed from the Internet. Um, yep. <laughs> <and> <laughs> we don't know what so, happened. <laughs> right. We don't know what happened and we don't know if, if she'll be there. It will be I would be shocked if she was there. I, I would fully expect her to zoom in remote if an appearance is to be made, but I don't know that there will be one. So by the time this this pod is shared with the world, we'll already have our answer on that. So we'll see. Yeah. And this is like, I haven't watched Dancing with Stars ever since they switched out the co-host, well, the main host, no offense to Tyra, but hey, she just doesn't do it for me. But this is when I do tune in when they have special nights. And if it's anything like they did for the Halloween, it's going to be good. So I'm excited. Yeah. And they've got, you know, they put out the list of songs that they're going to cover in a different routines, mm -hmm. um, Escapade and mm -hmm. If, and my man, I'm a Shumpert, is dancing to Rhythm Nation. Oh, he's gonna kill it. I don't I haven't seen this show, but I have seen him. Uh, his clips yes. are always all over the internet and the man's good. Okay. He Tiana is. Taylor is doing she's she's putting in work at the house. Okay. It's showing. <laughs> he's good. Like if he doesn't win, I'm gonna be mad. Yeah. So that'll be fun to kind of see their interpretation of that. And a bunch of folks, you know, they're gonna do anytime, any place, miss you much, all for you, made for now. So it'll be, I think a great introduction of her discography to folks who may not be familiar with it. And for those of us who are already real versed in Janet Jackson, you know, we'll just get the opportunity to enjoy kind of this trip down memory lane. Yes. And speaking of trip down memory lane, I kind of want to put something out there to kind of just express myself, cousin. Please. I got, it's not a gripe, but I got a suggestion. And I don't want to be like a, I don't want to be uh, oh, picky, you know what I'm saying? But I just got to, just a little great. I went to two stores, Route 21, Old Navy, and I got excited because I seen a t-shirt that said Poetic Justice. Mm -hmm. Although I'm not a fan of the movie, I have the utmost <laughs> respect for the soundtrack. That's a good soundtrack. I don't care what nobody says. It's say. an excellent <laughs> soundtrack. That's, that's one of the best soundtracks. I, I said it with grit. And I love the role that this movie played in the 90s because, you know, it's it's kind of iconic so far. It is, movie. sure. Mm -hmm. And I am upset because when I see the shirts, I automatically go through the whole stacks of these shirts. And I'm just looking for one with Janet. Can't find them. Mm. It's bad that they even, there's a scene I know Janet is with is with the whole crew, but they've cropped Janet out. What? And just got Poetic Justice and Regina and uh, what's his name? Joe Torrey that plays Chicago. And uh huh. That's Joe Torrey. Yeah. Got him on the shirt. I'm like, y'all just. What? I, yeah. I wonder what's up with that. I, I don't know what's up with that. I don't know why you would license a Poetic Justice shirt. I mean, she on the poster. She the only one on the poster. <laughs> but, but she ain't on the shirt. <laughs> And Cam Cam only bought a ticket to that movie. 
because of Janet. Right, pretty much. Uh, About the soundtrack because of Janet. I have seen some of the shirts, but I just assumed that maybe there were others. Like the one that I have seen is really just a very close up of Tupac. And then it says Poetic Justice at the yes. bottom. Yes. And um, it's a nice shirt, but I kind of assumed that there was another shirt with Janet it sounds like you're saying you have yet to discover that shirt I went online and everything I and I'm I'm picky about my shirts too because I want something that's authentic I don't want nothing that somebody at their house pressed down <laughs> on a computer and you know what I'm saying like I want authorized stuff so I just need somebody to tell the people who over licensing for poet justice hey throw Janet on there it's gonna sell <laughs> it definitely would sell. And that's surprising too, because I feel like Old Navy has Janet Jackson paraphernalia. Now, the one time they did license some Janet, it, they used the picture from the Unbreakable era. Uh-huh. And the only thing you're going to find now is a pink sweatshirt. And if yeah. you know me, I'm not rocking no pink. Mm-hmm. Oh, well. <laughs> well, maybe they will hear this message and uh, get on licensing and printing an official poetic justice janet jackson shirt for cousin cam this seems like the least they can do yeah for you cousin cam all right well there's certainly much more that we could talk about but we can't wait even one more second to get to our special guest so we'll take you there hope you enjoy we are joined today by a super special guest jesus garber an elite music promotions exec who's held executive positions at motown a&m zoo and entertainment Hollywood Records, and his own, the Jesus Garber Company. Jesus has worked with a bevy of amazing artists. It would be simply impossible for us to name them all. So I'm going to name my favorites, (laughs) Lionel Richie, Stevie Wonder, Smokey Robinson, The Temptations, Jermaine Jackson, Rick James, Tina Marie, The Bar, Shawnice Wilson, and of course, Janet Jackson, even appearing in Janet's nasty video from her breakout 1986 album, Control. In fact, Jesus is a major reason that Janet Jackson's third album achieved commercial success, launching Janet Jackson into superstardom. The Control album remained on the Billboard 200 for a record-breaking 65 consecutive weeks in the 1980s and once again hit number one on the Apple Top 40 U.S. Pop Albums chart this year in February 2021, 35 years after the album's release. Jesus, welcome. Welcome. What up? What up? (laughs) Positive vibes. I love it. I love it. All right. So, Jesus, we certainly want to talk about control and all things Janet Jackson. But first, can you give us a quick overview of what it is that you do and how you got your start in the music industry? Oh, Lord. (laughs) No, 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 no. I'll, I'll be very honest with you. I was 11 years old in 1966. I used to hang out at a neighborhood record shop mm-hmm. and the owner of that record shop in Los Angeles, it was called Jeff's records. The owner, his name was Jefferson Thomas Jr. He was one of the original little rock nine. Ah, okay. And um, in high school, I became the lunchtime DJ and I met a guy by the name of Gerald Busby in the 12th grade who uh, ended up being the president of Motown at one time. And, uh, and ended up working at a radio station when I was in the 12th grade on the weekends called the High School Happenings. The important thing about that radio station is that radio station was owned by a gentleman named Clarence Avant, wow. who, if you've seen uh, on Netflix, The Black Godfather, mm-hmm. that was him. 
Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I happened to have breakfast with him yesterday. We have breakfast once a month for the last 40 years. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, man, that's a long time. Not only did you just call off like a who's who in record execs, it was like, oh, by the way, my breakfast buddy. <laughs> just a little breakfast. <laughs> just, just, a, just a little something, a little toast and coffee. Oh, please keep going, keep going. I ended up working at Motown right out of high school. I was going to Los Angeles City College and one of the professors said to me, uh, he said, I think you're wasting your time here in school. You're already working at Motown. You work at a radio station on the weekends. And I think you're wasting your time here. So the next day I quit. Okay. <laughs> I quit LACC and, and just focused on my, my life at Motown. And it was wonderful. And all that illustrious list of artists that you name excluding Janet Jackson, we're all Motown artists in the beginning. Motown is such an iconic label. It had to be so special to be a part of that. What was it like for you? I was so in love and loyal to Motown. What Motown represents to minorities in America gave you hope like you wouldn't believe. Because, you know, we were all viewed as not equal. Right. So it gave me such pride, and I remember, and it gave you this credit card, which was a green American Express card, but it said, Jesus Garber, Motown Record Corporation. And I had no idea what that meant when you put that credit card down at Hertz Rent-A-Car, and then you got 15, 20 minutes of love for Motown. Wow. Well, so... I obviously knew it was a privilege and an honor to represent the company. And before, before I left, I had three, four offers to leave Motown every year out of all those 11 years, but I didn't want to. And finally, Mr. Avant told me, you got to go, young man. And I went. <laughs> I went to AM. So how and when did you first meet Janet Jackson? I met Janet at Motown. She happened to be visiting because during that era... I met her in 83. She was dating James DeBarge. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was a real, real, real relationship. And they were very much in love with each other. And it was all good. Janet obviously had one album. I was still at Motown. And it sold 150,000 mm -hmm. units. And then the second one sold 120, which is 30,000 less. Right. Going in the wrong direction. Yes. 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 Go. <laughs> Well, in 85, Clarence Avon and Jerry Moss, the M of A&M, got together. And Clarence had Jimmy and Terry do some things on Alexander O'Neill and Sherelle and the SOS band. And they, he caught some hits with them. So oh, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, here's the third album. And one evening, John McClain, who's the head of A&R, says, I want to play something for you. So it was John McClain and one of my regional guy, Rich Calloway, we were in the parking lot at A&M. It was about seven in the evening and he played the control album from his car stereo. And we're listening to smash after smash after smash. I'm all pumped up. Finally, about 11 o'clock, went home four in the morning. John calls me like I'm supposed to be up. <laughs> Man, what do you think we should do with this? And at the end of the day, they happened to promote me, a uh, Western promotion guy, to 
continue that position along with marketing director of Black Music. So honestly, it was very uh, scary for me because I've always had good relationship with radio guys and they became real friends, but I really didn't know what was the lane in the marketing end. Right. So they told me, the, the director of uh, vice president of marketing, his name was Bob Reitman. He said, look, here's a book by an author named Rosa Reeves. It's called All You Need to Know About Advertising. So I read it, put together a marketing campaign, and I'm excited. I'm going, wow, this is a great album. And I said, well, I'm going to I want to take her out for three and a half weeks around the country. I want her, myself and a bodyguard to go out on the road. I want to get three first class tickets, a limousine with a phone. Now, this is 1986. Mm -hmm. And I want to get premium hotels like a Four Seasons or a Ritz Carlton. Now, you know, don't put us at the Motel 6, please. Right. So. We want to get to our room from the inside. Yes, Lord have mercy. <laughs> uh, with Janet, you know, I'm presenting this very aggressive marketing plan because out of great respect, you realize that the Jacksons as a family were, when I grew up in South Central LA, we viewed them as America's royal black family. Extra special. Right. So it was coupled between not only what they meant as a legacy in their place in history, but also a, a very important word, respect. Sure. So uh, I presented the plan and uh, they actually told me I was crazy. Wow. And it's been reported that basically you staked your career, your reputation on Janet Jackson, that, you know, you came up with this aggressive marketing plan that her Previous album sales didn't necessarily lend to her receiving that treatment. You know, the first class tickets, the four season hotels. And you basically said that if I can't get a hit with Janet Jackson, I'll turn in my resignation. You pretty much put your career on the line and said, I believe in her. Why? Young lady, let me tell you why. Because you know what? You got to go with your gut feeling. Mm -hmm. There is a little voice in all of us. And as you get older and you get a little closer to God, you realize that's the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So I did say that. I did put myself on the line. And I'll tell you specifically why, because I remember the conversation. Uh, I said, well, her first album sold 150, second 120. This is her third album. If this doesn't make it, she's on the drop list. Mm -hmm. I said, look, we only do this for our two biggest artists, Sting and Brian Adams. And I said, look, give me a chance. If this doesn't work, you can let me go. I'll turn in my resignation. I will not file a lawsuit or nothing. I'll just, no recourse. I'll just say thank you for the opportunity and leave. But the truth of the matter is, I've had some experiences at Motown with Stevie Wonder selling multi-platinum. Mm -hmm. Rick James in 1981, super free, give it to me, baby. Three million records. DeBarge, a good example, in February of 1983, I was on the road with them for the entire month of February. And it was pandemonium because the young ladies would come to the record shops, which they don't have anymore today. And they would get a chance to meet the artists, take pictures, buy the records, sign autographs, the whole thing. You'd have three, 400 young ladies attacking the limousine. And so... Seeing that when I went on the road with DeBarge, 
they only had 75,000 albums sold at that time. When By the time we came back, we had sold 500,000, which made it a gold album. Wow. Wow. That's why I was confident about that. Mm -hmm. So I said, I have points of reference. I know how a hit, smash, blockbuster, life-changing album feels like, and this is one of them. So I did put myself on the line, but I will say this. There was a tremendous, tremendous support from the entire company, the R&B promotion team, the pop promotion team, the sales guys. They had the product in the stores. The publicity people had us on television and newspapers and all that. The only thing I regretted back then in hindsight was one ingredient that I wanted to happen is I wanted her to be on the cover of Rolling Stone. They, we tried it several times and they just thought at that time mm-hmm. she hadn't accomplished enough to be worthy of it. But when she left AM and went to Virgin, obviously she was on the cover of Rolling Stone a few times. Yeah. But it was exciting. And I'll tell you exactly why. Because when we were out on the road, the first market we went to was Houston. And Janet was about to get out of the car. We were going to a radio station. It was called 93Q's Morning Zoo was a pop station. So we would go to all stations, black, white, whatever, because we wanted this to go across the board. This is for everybody. But I said to Janet, I said, Janet, I need you to do me a favor before you get out this car and go in this station. She said, what is that? I said, look, you know, I know how your brothers are when they're being interviewed, when they're speaking with someone. They all have a very conservative, reserved kind of response. Like you'll say, oh, I love that song and, you know, you're doing great or whatever. And the person is interviewing and complimenting and you get a all righty or (laughs) thank you. I said, you can't do that, baby. You got to. She said, what do you want me to do? I said, I want you to walk in like a United States senator with your hand extended and introduce yourself first. Say, hi, I'm Janet Jackson. What is your name? What do you do here? I want to thank you for your support in helping my song here. It it just blew people away. Wow, okay. She took pictures with everybody. And then the receptionists, the clerks, the traffic (laughs) people, the salespeople, she worked the whole station. And people still remember that today. Wow, I'll bet, yeah. I remember going into Baltimore at a radio station with her and there was a little boy who looked at her Mm -hmm. and started crying like he just saw Jesus come off the cross. Wow. And Janet stopped what she was doing and she went over there and said, baby, come here, give me a hug. She said, it's going to be okay. Don't you worry. I'm just a, I'm just a person and I appreciate your love. Don't cry. It's going to be all right. Oh my God. But the, I love that so much. <laughs> it showed me how caring Janet Jackson is, how loving, how compassionate, how much empathy she has. And I have to tell you, between going into radio stations and the television stations and newspapers and magazines, all we did was have fun. Uh-huh. It was always filled with, with positive energy and uh and Janet was just such a joy to work with. And she listened to my advice. She called me and it, it, it just got to a point where 
she discovered that she was not signed to A&M. She was signed to her father's production company. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then she realized what her compensation or her split was. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't much bigger than a zero. Wow. So when the lawyers told her that, she decided to change her business arrangement with her father. And it got her more independent. Anyway, that was a tough situation. But when that happened, I, uh, I had to be that person to uh, feel all the questions and help coordinate things. And it was just, it was nice to, you know, to, to, to experience all that attention. And, and I just appreciated that she got that support from the company because the company did not have to do that. But by the time we came back to L.A., she had sold over a million records. Wow. And you said that was a 13 city. How long was three the time and a half that, weeks, three and a half weeks over a million records? Yep. Wow. That's amazing. And, you know, I already think the world of you, but just hearing you tell the story about how you supported her in what was surely a difficult time in having to make that decision um, to separate from her father. In one of the reasons we were so excited to have you on is we did a Control 35 episode and just kind of revisited all of the things that it took to get this like shooting star. Right. Right. And what we decided was like one of the most integral ingredients was you because Cam and I do not believe we do not believe we get the Janet Jackson we have today if your path did not cross with hers. And so to hear to hear that story is pretty amazing. So thank you for sharing that. Wow. Wow. That is I'm I'm humbled by your kindness. It's the truth. Yeah, it's the truth. But Mm -hmm. what I wanted to ask you about was kind of the market segmentation. On a previous podcast, our 35-year celebration for the Control album, on that podcast, we talked about the marketing plan for Control and how a large part of the plan was to start on Black Radio but not stay there. So to cross over to pop, you know, get to mainstream video outlets as well. Mm. and so I want to ask a couple questions in this one and you can you can dissect it how you need. But one of the thoughts I was was wrestling with was how has radio segmentation changed or remained the same in the time since you marketed Janet in 1986? Um, what would that strategy look like today? Today it's not uh, it's more difficult. Let's just really? let's just do it that way without upsetting any 900 pound gorillas. See, remember, Janet Jackson's album came out in 1986. But in 1996, uh, one of my favorite presidents, Bill Clinton, signed into law a law called the Telecommunications Act. Before he signed it, if you were a broadcast owner of radio stations, you could only own seven radio stations. But the Telecommunications Act changed everything and so all of a sudden you got 900 pound gorillas that own 1300 1400 1500 radio stations first of all it created monopolies like you wouldn't believe the thing is what happened for our community is that some of our black owners most of them took the money and said goodbye and what happened was the way the data and analytics are used for white audiences are now forced into black radio because they're owned by white people. 
And I never thought about that, like how Black radio and the disappearance of it has affected our culture. Wow. It's just like you just made really made me think about so many things of how music has changed. It's changed. And it it hasn't changed for the better because, look, you know, at the end of the day, it's still about songs. It's about relationships. It's, It's always look, there was my favorite show on television. I was 13 years old when it first came on and I haven't missed the episode and I'm 66 now. And that's 60 Minutes. And the creator of 60 Minutes, his name is Don Hewitt. He passed away too, but he always said to his reporters, tell me a story. And when songs, tell me a story. Yeah, that's one thing I say about my generation is we had Michael, Janet, Luther, Prince, but the younger generations, all they got is a bunch of mumbling rappers. I feel so sorry for them because I'm like, y'all don't know what a y'all don't know about when someone tell you they don't like you. So you sitting in the room, listening to Luther crying, trying to figure out what you did wrong. It's just, oh. it's just, it music don't have that substance anymore. So yeah. I agree with you on that. And, and and you know when it comes to Luther, all I got to hear is the first note on Never Too Much. I'm there. Yep. I, I'm not moving. Yeah. Yep. I'm literally you know, I woke up and looked at your picture to get me started. Hello. Yes. What? Yes. That is my favorite Luther's. Well, that is so amazing. Those are my yes. favorite Luther songs. Oh, so amazing uh, is a classic. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, I don't know. I feel like every era, every generation of people and um musicians have a certain wavelength. And like you are either tuned into it or you're not. And right. this current era. I'm definitely not tuned into it. I do think that there are some artists that are having some real connections and that can last. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think music connoisseurs of this generation feel like they're missing anything. Let's put it this way. Billie Eilish and the, <laughs> other, the other girl, Rodrigo, that was on, on Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. I honestly said, why? <laughs> why is this person the hottest right now? Because they don't have nothing else. You know, there there seem to be people who should be making it but aren't cutting through. Like, I really think that Tiana Taylor brings an interesting mm-hmm. persona. Her voice is fantastic. Her music is good. She has what it takes, but she hasn't cracked the code. What's her first name? Tiana Taylor. Now, see, y'all, here's what I'll tell you. The A&R people, it's called Artists in Repertoire. Mm-hmm. Their job those people before what they would do is they go hang out at clubs at night and watch these artists perform. They went out looking for them today. The A&R people are basically what we would call ambulance chasers. Yeah. All they're looking at is the, the, uh, the streams on Spotify and Rhapsody and Apple and, and Amazon. and And then they go try to find them and see if they can, do a deal with them but that's not development i mean think about it one of the greatest 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 female voices of our lifetime was whitney houston Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but there was a brother named jerry griffin and jerry was out and about at a club in new york and he was the one that discovered her and he told Clive Davis, uh, who was president of Arista, about her. And Clive took a meeting and listened to her, and he agreed she had a remarkable voice. But guess what? Clive took all the credit, and the brother got nothing. Mm. Wow. 
not even a cold sandwich and a old bag of chips. Warm pop, my goodness. <laughs> I mean, I, I keep it real, but you got to get out there. And if you're just looking at trends, and so that means you are not relying on your gut. You're relying on the aid of data. And data has no soul. <laughs> well, I have one more. Well, I have two more questions for you. I want to ask about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You were there with Janet when she was inducted. Tell us more about that. In 2019, she calls me up and she says, look, I just want to tell you that I'm finally being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I bought a table for 10 and I have a, I have a seat at my table for you. Can you make it? I said, I'll be there. But I had no idea, honestly, that she was going to mention my name and blow a kiss to me out in the audience. And then uh, she had an after party in Manhattan. I went to there for the after party and I took some pictures with her. And, you know, I said, thank you very much. I had no idea you were going to, you know, say such, say such kind things about me. Or she said, no, 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 you were there for me. You were there for me. And then I said to her, damn, Janice, shit, you had to go Jerry Maguire on me and had to make me cry. And she, and she, she laughed so hard. The thing is, she is so real and she is so smart. She's so observant. She learned a lot from all her brothers and sisters. And you look at Michael. He was making very good choices, good decisions, and more importantly, good business decisions. Right. Because I remember being at dinner with her once, and she said that uh, that Michael fought, fell in love with that uh, Neverland Ranch, but the guy wanted like $54 million. And then Michael found out the guy was going through a divorce, so Michael slowed the roll down and waited the guy down till he gave in at 17 million. Okay, wow. Uh, yes, that's a good discount. <laughs> that's a serious discount. Like, I will offer you 33%. <laughs> hey, that's just like when Michael went against Paul McCartney yeah. bidding for the Beatles catalog. Yes. Paul McCartney rightfully should have had it because him and John wrote them. There was his voice and all that. But Michael was smart enough to go to a guy by the name of Walter Yetnikoff, who was the chairman of Columbia, and said, Walter, I want to buy the Beatles catalog, but I need you to back me up. And Walter Yetnikoff said, Michael, tell them you have a blank check from Columbia Records. Whatever number we need to fill out for you to get that, we're going to do that. Wow. But uh, but Janet is just a, a wonderful person who uh, has been very generous to her family, her siblings, her uh, nieces and nephews, uh, knowing that she was doing better than her brothers and sisters and all that. And, you know, there was periods when she needed to step in and save the day and she did that many times quietly she never asked for no fanfare or nothing and she's had friends mm -hmm. that she grew up with that needed a car or um needed some help or whatever she did it mm -hmm. she did it she always has done the right thing and that's what i love about her mm -hmm. i'll tell you one thing that touched me when the 
Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was uh, being presented to her was when Janelle Monet was giving her her props. And I'm actually right behind Janet when she said, we, we bow at your altar. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. That was an emotional moment for me. It's like, my God. The impact. Look at where they're putting my, my artists at. Yeah. She'll yeah. always be my artist because uh, I love her dearly. And she has always been very kind to me. And, and again, I'll just underscore it. I am so grateful that she didn't forget me because, you know, I don't know what it is about me, but I'm just thankful that here it is. Um, I left Motown 36 years ago. And on Monday, I'm still consulting the Temptations. What? And I'm getting a call from Barry Gordy and Shelly Berger, who manages them. Stop it. Stop it. I love the Temptations. My favorite male group of all time. No so doubt. just hearing that there might be something on the horizon is super exciting to it me. It comes out Monday. Is it going to be yes or no? And Smokey's on it with them. He's singing. Stop and he, it. And he sounds so good. Smokey sounds amazing. He sounds amazing. Yeah. I want to ask you about Rock Hall. You know, Janet Jackson became eligible for Rock Hall nomination in 2007. Mm-hmm. And um, between 2007 and 2018, of course, she got in on the 2018 ballot and was inducted in 2019. But between 2007 and 2018, she only had three nominations. Now, mm-hmm. certainly from a fan perspective, that was, it was insidious. It was like ridiculous. I couldn't, it it, it got to a point where I was feeling some kind of way, like who even cares if she ever gets in because this tells me that y'all don't deserve her. That's how I was feeling at the time. But of course, when she got in, Lord, I don't even think I slept that night. But I want to ask you, you know, a person with the resume of Janet Jackson, for her to be eligible for 11 years and only get three nominations in that time, from your perspective, what what does that what does that say about the process um, of the oh, induction? Answer, it's it's one word, one word only. Politics, yes, politics. Yep, yep. It's somebody lobbying for you. What, what's and I, I, I apologize. I'm having a senior moment, but what's the gentleman's name who's the drummer for the Roots? Uh, Questlove. Questlove was he and I were sitting next to each other at, Jan- at Janice's table. And she pointed out that it was Questlove's campaigning for her through the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, membership and working it that got her through. So she she gave him credit for being that advocate and champion to get her on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm so I was so honored to sit next to him and to find out that he was the one that lobbied, which is politics. So he went to the president of the of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and to the vice president, to the mem- board members and kept bringing her name up because it's, you know what, those people have a lot of choices and it's who works them the hardest that finally gets in. I mean, I think Barry White, who is one of my best friends in life, mm-hmm. deserves to be in there. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, it's just uh, uh, it's just a situation where I'm glad that Janet finally got it. And then I realized that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is actually more prestigious 
than the Grammys. And my friend Clarence Avon is being honored this year at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He's receiving the Ahmet Erdogan Award. Ahmet Erdogan was the founder of Atlantic Records. Okay. Right. I have a question for you. Lately here, there's been comparison that Drake has now is now on the level of a Michael Jackson. And to me, I re- I'm old enough to remember where you had to go to the record stores and you were, you know, trying to find your favorite artists and you were really, you know, listening to the radio where now mm-hmm. all I got to do is open an app, play it for 30 seconds and they get, you know, they get a unit. And to me, it's kind of unfair that, you know, they're doing this comparison. Can you kind of tell me how you feel about it? Do you feel like we should stop comparing people to legends now? No, no, no. Because remember one thing about entertainment. Entertainment has one word that's consistent. It's called hype. Look, Drake is in the billions of streams. So it puts him in an elite category. Mm-hmm. But he ain't no Michael Jackson. I don't care what anybody says. Yeah, Michael was an incredible entertainer. I mean, the fact that he can write, sing, and nobody can perform like Michael Jackson. I was sitting in the audience when we did the Motown 25th in Pasadena and Michael did the, the moonwalk with Billie Jean. It was like being at Cape Canaveral watching a rocket ship take off. And that's exactly how I feel, because it was actually Billboard magazine that launched this entire argument on the Internet for like three days about has Drake surpassed Michael Jackson as an artist. And so a a fan actually did the math. Right. Because Mm -hmm. the evidence that uh, Billboard was putting up was that Drake was the most streamed artist in history and he has um, 50 billion career streams. And so a fan just did the math and he basically said, if Michael Jackson's pure album sales were converted to streams, he would have over 305 billion. Hello. Streams. <laughs> Come like, on with it. I like that forensic, forensic science. I like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. You know, Drake is a handsome young man and talented but he ain't no michael jackson i don't care what anybody says <laughs> i think the I, fact that we still keep talking about michael jackson tells you no one is there oh yeah. like it seems like at some point rather than say is so-and-so the new michael jackson the conversation would shift to is so-and-so the new drake or is so-and-so the new beyonce but we haven't moved there yet right like we're still on michael jackson and i think we'll always be there to be quite honest i just don't see the environment today the musical landscape today i don't think it creates another superstar of that magnitude like i'm talking about like you know six thousand fans have come to your hotel because you might look out the window like i just don't see <laughs> that happening no, no but see let me let me let me give you the real real in corporations today in the record company uh, marketing meetings when i was at motown or AM or zoo or the Holly, hollywood records is a part of the walt disney company when we would be in a marketing meeting and the head of promotion and sales and market, you know what they wanted? They wanted feedback in regards to how are the fans that listen to the radio station reacting and responding to the song? Are they requesting it? Mm-hmm. Uh, are they sincere? Are they passionate? Are they requesting the record in the record shop? It was all about driven by the song. Right. Now, Today's marketing meetings are basically analysts. None of those people 
are passionate about the songs. What they're passionate about is, let's see what the stream pattern is. Let's look at the algorithms and let's look at how we can manipulate the algorithms to piggyback additional streams. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Our music business today doesn't have the cachet or respect that it used to have like in the 60s, 70s and 80s and 90s. Think about it this way. This is and it's it's all the numbers. When you look at when we used to sell CDs, if you sold a CD single, you had uh, if you sold a million of them, you grossed a million dollars. And from that million dollars, the label paid itself. They paid the artist, the producer, the writer, the arranger, and everybody got a nice little piece of money. But today, if you have a million streams, you only gross $7,000. And that same group of people are in line to get some of that little bit of money. Right. 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 So, so you got to have a hit record on the radio, regardless of what they say about technology Mm -hmm. so that you can get people into see you live. Cause that's where the money is today. Live shows. uh, It costs more for the ticket. You got the merchandising. So um, if a Janet goes on the road, which she will again, um, there's very few artists that are going to put on a great show like hers. Yeah, that's the truth. I mean, we don't have Michael and we don't have Prince and we don't have Rick James anymore. Those kind of artists are just not being replaced. I think the only one coming up that has the potential to be a superstar right now is she's on RCA, her. Yes, right. Yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, somebody, somebody's always in the wings developing. Yeah, it's been a long time coming for her. She's like 10 years. Okay. <laughs> Preach. Yes. Listen, we got a couple more questions and we're not trying to keep you for the rest of your life. I so. am enjoying this, young lady. <laughs> I am enjoying this. I'm having fun. Well, I'm thank glad you. to hear that. Listen, thank, we're having a good time. Thank you for, for accepting me being real t- with you guys this evening. Absolutely. And we so much appreciate you with being willing to share. I want to go back and talk about Control. You mentioned earlier Janet's first two albums essentially both sold under 200,000 copies. And then we know that by the end of that three-week promotional tour, um, Control has sold a million. Right. What accounted, in your opinion, for the starkly different results between those early albums and Control? The songs. I feel like that might be the answer. Yeah, <laughs> that, is, that, 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 that is the answer. And you know what? There is, a, I believe in divine order. Some people say the, the stars lined up for you or whatever. Yeah. But whatever interpretation you may have, I just think everything lined up for Janet in terms of you had Clarence Avant convincing Jerry Moss, the M of A&M, to give Jimmy and Terry a, a, a shot. And then you had John McClain a and Ring it and he kept them in the studio kept recording more and more and then all of a sudden they came up with nothing but back-to-back hits and it became magic mm-hmm. and uh that first video uh, what have you done for me lately was revolutionary because janet had more of a street edge because of paula abdul's choreography input mm-hmm. uh you know everybody was young fresh looking good they kind of you know, they were locking and popping and doing all the stuff that the lockers with Don Campbell and Robot Slim and Fred Berry and all those guys that used to be on Soul Train 
what have you done for me lately? You can tell she was serious about yes. that question to that guy. <laughs> and then That's the little head, the little head movement side to side, that became very popular. <laughs> Yes. And you know, it's one of those things that last, right? Like we people, people still say, what have you done for me lately? (laughs) Yeah, you have to do it that way. And people are still doing that 35 years later. I can't, you know, I just can't believe that time has gone by so quickly. And I'm so grateful to still be here to say, I worked that song and I was a part of there from the Genesis from the beginning. It's really moving. I mean, but at the same time, you know, I do believe in yesterday's score is no good in today's game. So you better come up with something fresh <laughs> to stay yep. relevant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how that's how the game really goes. But I mean, Janet is relevant, but she's got enough hits to I think she's going to do another residency and then she's going to do a tour. But her work ethic is uncanny. Uh, when she goes into the rehearsals for her choreography, she works eight hours a day hard because she knows that it's going to show up on that stage when she performs in front of her audience. So, yeah. and she thinks about the sequence of how the songs are presented and how the audience responds. And she has people out there that are working for her that give her that feedback back that she wants to make sure that her product, her brand always is improving. And, uh, and I'm just, you know, I could pinch myself because I'm so thankful that she didn't forget me. Mm-hmm. How could she? Yeah. <laughs> I think that says a lot about her as a person. Um, you know, that's one of the reasons it's so fun to have these conversations. We, and you touched on something from a, that a person mentioned that we we actually shared this podcast uh, or reshared it. It was a podcast we did a long ago with Chucky Booker, and uh, in it Chucky. he was, yeah, yeah in it he was talking about the preparation for uh, they were getting ready to take uh, Rhythm Nation out on the road, mm-hmm. and he he was just like casually telling us about how they uh, rehearse, and he's like, yeah, so we start about uh, you know about ten a.m. And then we probably wrap up around 2 a.m. And he was just telling this, like, just casually, like, oh, yeah, that's just what we did. Yeah. And, you know, he's like, we, you know, you you working with Janet, like, you're you're going to be there till it's right. And he was like, you know, we had a good time and and she, and she made sure that we were all well taken care of. But that's what it was like. We were we were going to be we were going to be ready. Mm-hmm. Oh, it had to be perfect because, you know what, Michael is the same way. Michael was very introverted. He didn't speak up too much. But Janet and Michael, I, I actually even worked Tito and I uh, recently and I've discovered that Tito Jackson has an absolutely beautiful voice mm-hmm. and is super talented. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, Janet, like Michael, is, you know, they're quiet, they're cool, they're laying a cut, you know, they're a little mysterious. But when they're on stage, it's like turning on the light switch. Mm, yeah. Her tours, her shows are so worth going to. They're so exciting. And, you know, she never disappoints. Mm -hmm. Never, never. I actually, a detour. Um, A friend of mine, one of my best friends, had never seen Janet Jackson. And so I think maybe in 2011, so this would have been the number ones tour. So 2011, um, you know, I said, I'm going to buy us great seats and I'm going to take you to this show. And, you know, in 2011, Janet Jackson was still phenomenal, but it wasn't 
it wasn't the huge sets. Like the number one tour was very, very scaled down. It wasn't the huge sets of the Velvet Rope or the All For You tour. Mm -hmm. Because that show was very intentional to be quote unquote intimate, right? So it was just like Janet and a few dancers and they were killing it, right? Oh, yeah. There were no the theatrics. There was no pyrotechnics. There was nothing. It was raw. It was raw. And my friend's like, this is the best concert I've ever been to. And I'm like, <laughs> I know it is. <laughs> and, and the thing is, she always told great stories. I mean, even, yeah. uh, uh, you know, like me, here it is. I'm a person who worked there and was close to her and all that. But I have to be very frank with you and your audience here. And that is, there's times when the thing that has healed me the most, when I need some soul searching and a little uplifting, is certain words and songs. And uh, when she said, friends say tough times don't last for long. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then I go, have mercy. Okay, yeah. it's about over. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. There are so many of us who can who can recall the lyric that helped us through a particular moment. And so like every time you hear that song, it just takes you to that place. And I think that's the, the true power of music. And I think nobody did it better. Nobody, no, nobody has done a better job of being able to create such relatable music and of the time, like timely, relatable music by just being their authentic selves, not not by chasing hits or chasing trends. Obviously, she was trying to get a hit, but I don't think she prioritized like what would be a hit over what she really felt she needed to say. And so no, you're, you're right. And I will say this, even though I could take a lot of bows for myself, for Jimmy and Terry, John McClain, her bow for Jerry Moss, Kill Friesen, Charlie Minor, and all the great Steph Johnson uh, and Janet Jackson herself. But I will say this. I'd be remiss if I didn't give God the glory and say thank you for allowing me to be a part of that successful encapsulated time in history that touched so many people in such a profound and positive way. Oh, absolutely. And I remember one time I was having a dinner with John McClain at a sushi restaurant in Studio City. And we were talking about the concept for control, the video. And he says, well, I want to, I could see the time picking her up at her house and all that. He said, I don't know who we should get to play her mother and all that. And then again, that's why I always go back to give, you cannot take the praise yourself. You got to give it to God. God put it on my mind, said, you know what? We got to get Janae uh, Dubois mm. to be her mother in the, uh, in the control album because the video because that gives us continuity because she was her mother in good times yes and she agreed to it and it worked out and uh people went yeah yes yes okay <laughs> yeah you know one thing you have to janet is extremely loyal the young lady who was janet's assistant during good times is still her assistant today now that's loyalty right there. Yeah. I mean, I should, be, I should just be talking about, you know, nasty, but I don't know if you guys want to know how I got in that video. The Yes, we do. Okay. <laughs> so here's what happened. I'm at home and 
Rich Franco, the guy that was at uh, A&M, director of the video, the department, he calls me up. He says, it's about seven o'clock. He says, I need you to come down to the shoot. I went, she went out there and rehearsed a scene. And then all of a sudden I'm getting two or three different women that were with the company asking me to speak to Jan. And I said, okay, what would you like for me to tell her? I said, well, the jacket she's got on is waist length and it's not flattering to her derriere. I said, well, why don't you go tell her? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I said, you up. Yeah, hello. So then, you know, I, I'm the, the, the person. So I, I said, Jan, I need to talk to you. She said, okay, what's happening? I said, Jan, uh, booty's sticking out too far. We got to do something about it. Lord, this was before people were appreciative yeah, of the fine <laughs> form. So she said, she was like, thank you. She got that three-quarter length jacket, uh, uh, put it on, and didn't miss a beat. So, you know, when she, Ray Grady, and I were talking about the nasty video, I said, Janet, I got the perfect people that should do that. Who's that eating that nasty food and all that? She said, who? I said, the rap group, the Fat Boys. And that would give you some sort of street credibility and all that. But we couldn't get them. So the director had gotten these two white guys. So here it is, all night, been out there, 7 a.m., we're in an abandoned warehouse, and they're, they're doing that scene from the freight elevator. And so there's an outhouse in there, and I decided that I needed to go to the restroom. So when I closed the door, the door opened immediately before I could do anything, and Janet had opened my door to the outhouse. No. And I said, uh -oh. excuse me. How can I help you? <laughs> <laughs> and she says, I need you. Lord knows I had to pee, but I said, okay, well, look, what's happening, Janet? She said, I need you to be in this scene. I said, no, Janet. She said, no, you have to be in it. And then she gets everybody there on the stage, whatever, the, the warehouse saying, yeah, be in it, be in it. <laughs> and I said, Janet, do I get a rehearsal? No. Do I get makeup? Do I get makeup? No. She said, all you got to do is stand in front of the camera. Okay. Wow. I said, and I'm not getting rehearsal. She said, just do it. You know what to do. I got in front of the camera and I just, I just goofed off and had fun. A few days later, Rich Franco showed it to me in his office. Here it is. I've always been a suit and tie guy. And I look at myself in that video and I slid off the chair laughing at, ah. me, at myself <laughs> but but basically janet said the two guys didn't have any rhythm oh, oh that's funny oh that's not good so yeah hello <laughs> so and i had no idea that that was one of michael jackson's favorite parts in that video wow yes what if anything has surprised you about janet's career uh how time has passed so fast. And far as I'm concerned, there's so much more room for her to continue to grow and evolve. Yeah. 35 years is nothing to sneeze at. Right. That's a lifetime. But at the same time, if you look at her, she's glowing. She's, a, she's definitely a once in a lifetime artist. I mean, you think about her contemporary, Madonna, 
Madonna was bad. There's no question about it. She had get into the groove, La Isla Bonita and all that kind of stuff. But and she put on some great shows, but she ain't no Janet Jackson, baby. I don't <laughs> care what anybody says. <laughs> I'm partial. I'm with Janet. As you should be. Yeah, that's a constant argument on the Twitter streets as well. Um, this juxtaposition. And I don't think you have to choose. Like, I, f- I feel like you, we don't have to make a choice between entertainers. Like, two things can be great. Yes. I feel like, and this is not to take away from Madonna, because people, when when I say this, people hear something different. Like, Who's That Girl is my favorite movie. It's mm-hmm. not it's not that great, but it's fantastic. Like, I don't know if that you, makes you sense. Enjoy, <laughs> you enjoy That was something that you connected with. Yes. Um. So, so I don't have any negative feelings toward Madonna. But mm-hmm. what I was trying to express is when I think about the rise of a Janet Jackson, not a Janet Jackson, of the Janet Jackson, those mm-hmm. paths to success were very different. It is because one faced obstacles that the other did not. And mm-hmm. neither's road was smooth. Right. But one had to face the hurdle of, will MTV play me? And mm-hmm. another did not. Right. Well, but you know, it's, it's a good point you're bringing up because you know what? One thing that I realize, and I just have to say it as real as I can be, shit ain't changed that much. Hmm. We're still living in two Americas, a black one and a white one. Right. And I look at the fact that there was a gentleman by the name of Walter Yetnikov, who I mentioned earlier that Michael went to about acquiring the Beatles catalog publishing. Walter Yetnikov had a lot of rock bands on between Columbia and Epic on MTV. And MTV, you know, very... uh, eloquently and cavalierly said, well, you know, based on our studies, uh, audiences want to hear more rock bands other than, and with Walter having the Thriller album, he just called them up and said, look, if you don't play Michael Jackson's video, you got about 25 of my artists that you're playing videos on. I'm going to take them all off your station and you won't have any artists to play that are Columbia. So you don't have a choice. You either play Michael's video or I'm taking, I'm pulling all my artists off. And that was a ballsy move. Wow. And you think about it from a Jewish American who understands what discrimination is like, because, right. you know, hey, I just look at it as right on, Walter, you did something incredibly courageous. And you spoke up and said the truth and it made a difference, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing this time with us. We are just honored and elated that you would spend a few minutes, more than a few minutes with us. I got to tell you, when I called you on the phone and you were just so warm and welcoming, and I just really thought to myself, like, I'm really talking to Jesus Garver. <laughs> I must commend both of you for your love, dedication, and loyalty to Janet Jackson because you couldn't have picked a more more fitting, deserving artist of your love and loyalty. I mean, Janet has a special place in my heart. I regard her as a friend, and I'm honored that I was able to represent her at the right time in her life and I'll tell you this, it changed my life because I was able to get 
other jobs after I left A&M uh, in high capacity because I didn't have to say it. People knew my association with her and uh, that really helped open a lot of doors for me. So it, yes, you know, we're, yes. we're forever joined and I just love who she is as a being. Yes, yes. Well, I hope that the people that do listen to this podcast do us one big favor and that is to tell their friends about your podcast so it keeps growing and growing and growing let's make it huge yeah. from your lips to god's ears ladies thank you so much i'm very grateful to both of you for being so kind and respectful and thank you for honoring my friend janet jackson who is deserving of uh the love and admiration and acknowledgement that you guys give her. And, and I know that at the end of the day, in its most simplest form, but most powerful, all this is done through both of your loves for her. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the last word. We don't have nothing else to say. Right there. That is it for us for now. If you need more Janet Jackson, which we know you need more Janet Jackson, you can subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're already a subscriber, please tell a Janet Jackson fan about us and leave us a rating or review whenever you're listening. Your comments and ratings help other people find us, especially on iTunes. If you're not already, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Janet Jackson Pod. If you are following, thank you for every like and every single retweet, especially on episode releases. Those are simple things you can do and they go a long way to help us reach new Janet Jackson fans. Our intro and outro music, Good For You, is provided by THBD and is licensed under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. Thanks for listening to Janet Today, Janet Tomorrow, Janet Forever. Well, I remember the first tour because her first show was in Miami. And then I remember we went up to Chapel Hill where uh, where Michael Jordan uh, played. And she did the show there and they had, you know, for Black Cat, a Black Panther and uh, or Leopard. And, yeah. and, you know, that show was on MTV. Do you remember that? That they, yeah. yes, they recorded and broadcasted from that show in Chapel Hill. I remember, I remember Kirk Loader from MTV was one of the hosts backstage talking. But, you know, the, the thing is, the poor damn cat peed on himself. He was so scared. Yes. On stage, so you got people coming right behind him with mops and stuff. <laughs> <laughs>